Before we begin today's show, we love putting this podcast out on Monday so that the diehard NBA fans can catch up with everything they missed over the weekend. Well, if you also love the National Football League, the great Adam Schefter releases new episodes of the Adam Schefter podcast every single Monday. He begins each show by dropping some NFL news and then continues to break down the day's hottest stories with some big name guests from the football world. So if you want to check it out, once you're done listening to this episode of the Hoop Collective, you can download and subscribe to the Adam Schefter Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Sunday afternoon. And this is always an important uh, educational uh, podcast for me because the draft is coming up. And um, as you guys know, if you listen to the podcast regularly, I, I just, I'm not good on the draft. Some people are obsessed with the draft, both, uh, uh, you know, fans and uh, media members. And so, you know, to educate you on this, uh, I brought in two of the best draft guys um, in the entire business, and they happen to be my colleagues here. Uh, joining us from, I believe he's in Dallas, is Jonathan Gavoni. I'm in Brooklyn. Why do I think you live in Dallas? That's the second time I made that mistake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you want me to be. Um, uh, I think you live in Dallas. Bam McMahon's neighbor or something. You, you know, know what? I, this is actually um, it's it's worrisome to me. I'm 42, and I start to notice stupid things like when I notice my parents make the same mistake over and over, like pronounce the same wrong over and over. I'm starting to do that, and it's starting to worry me. Um, joining us from Brooklyn is Jonathan Gavoni. Joining us, I believe, last time I knew where he lived was Los Angeles. Is Mike Schmitz? Mike, are you still in LA? I'm here. Yeah, I haven't moved to Dallas quite yet. Maybe soon. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, all right. So, guys, uh, the draft is going to be on November 18th. We assume. I don't think that's going to change. Um, there's a lot of moving pieces in the NBA. Who knows what may change by the time this podcast comes out? But we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus uh, on this class, which has got to be one of the most analyzed draft classes in the history of the NBA, right? Because Teams have had not that much to do since March, uh, especially front offices. Um, uh, and I assume that they have consumed um, incredible amounts of film and research on these players. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad, uh, Jonathan, but um, I, this will be a draft unlike any other, I would assume, right? Yeah, definitely. Just it's been so long. I mean, it feels like this day will never come. I feel like we've been talking about James Wiseman and Anthony Edwards and, you know, LaMelo Ball for, you know, 14, 15 months now. And, it, you know, it's one thing if it's if it was a class like like Zion and Ja like last year where there was really a lot of juice to squeeze. But we feel like we're ready for this thing, man. It's been it's been a long time coming. And they haven't, frankly, they haven't played that much. LaMelo only played, Wiseman played, what, two games before he shut it down? Two or three games? LaMelo played a handful of games uh, halfway around the world. Um, we just, we haven't, I mean, last time LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman played uh, organized basketball in front of cameras was like approaching a year ago. Like they could have grown, changed. Like they may not even be the same players to a certain extent. Like I can't imagine that's happened before Schmitz. Yeah, it's really, really rare. And it's, uh, you know, this time you can really talk yourself into guys, out of guys, you know, like you said, it's just been so long since they've played. I mean, for, for Wiseman and Ball in particular, it's going to be over a year uh, before they play their next NBA game, their first NBA game. Right. And so I think that's what makes all this so tricky uh, you know, no summer league. What What is training camp going to look like? And so that's why I think, you know, teams are going to want guys who are ready to contribute from day one. And I think that's why, you know, an Obi Toppin and Tyrese Halliburton, a lot of these more ready guys, uh, you know, teams, I think may favor them in some ways. Okay. So um, I want, I want you guys to educate me a little bit and our listeners about the guys that we really need to know about. So uh, most people out there have heard of LaMelo Ball. They've maybe even seen some LaMelo Ball, um, you know, the footage. Um, I feel like the LaMelo Ball draft situation changed immeasurably like 12 months ago, or give or take, Jonathan, when you ventured down to Tasmania and sent back a report that he could be a top, I don't know if you said the top pick or a top three pick at the time. And then everybody in the NBA started rotating down to Australia. What do 
what do I need to know? What do listeners need to know about LaMelo Ball? Well, he, he's the big talent of this draft. I mean, he all the hype around him, I think it's completely justified. Um, you know, the the NBA right now is built around these big playmaking guards, guys that can really anchor your, your offense and, and carry you. Um, you know, and he, he has all that star quality. He's, he's an incredible ball handler. He sees every pass available to him. He can make every pass. I mean, he makes the game so easy for his teammates. And he's such a magnetic uh, player to watch. You know, he just there's so much entertainment value there. You know, even ignoring the millions of Instagram followers and his crazy dad and all of that. I mean, he, he really does make the game interesting. And I think that's compelling, you know, when you're going into a season like this, that is going to have financial challenges and there's so much uncertainty around the draft as it is around the other guys around Edwards and Wiseman. I got to think if you're Minnesota, you're looking at LaMelo and you're saying, this guy is going to fill up our arena every single night. Um, you know, he's going to make us relevant globally, you know, from day one, both on TV and on social media. And he probably is the biggest talent in the draft too, you know, and Wendy, you and I have talked about this off, you know, um, a podcast about the ownership situation. You know, if you have to look at, at that as well, you know, if a new owner is coming in and he's spending a lot of money and, you know, he wants to get a return at some point. You know, for me, LaMelo Ball is really compelling, um, you know, just in those ways. And and that's not to discount his talent, which I think, you know, is there, too. So, um, you know, I went to Tasmania in, in September of 2019. Feels like forever now. And I came back saying this guy has to be considered at number one. Uh, that was a, that was sort of an earth shatter. I mean, we all know who LaMelo was. Um, but I mean, that was a, that story. To be quite honest, it changed everything. And people thought it was all about clicks. You know, a lot of people were like, "Well, he's just saying that because it's a headline." But you've never, but you've never been that way, Jonathan. No, that's I mean, not. It's not the way we roll, Schmitz or I. But um, yeah, and here we are. You know, I mean, how many months later? And he really has a good chance to go number one. And if it's not Minnesota, I think there's a good chance that somebody's going to trade up to try and get him yeah. because he has that kind of value. Minnesota has. Um, from what I understand, made the pick very available. But that doesn't mean that they don't like LaMelo. I think that just means they're trying to get offers. Um, uh, but it's it's unusual the number one pick gets traded. I know we saw it a couple of years ago uh, in, the mar- in the deal that with Philly with uh, Philly and Boston. Um, but it doesn't normally happen. Now, Schmitz, I want to read something from Gavoni's uh, scouting report, which is on ESPN.com, about LaMelo. And you know, I, I, I have actually met him, but I met him when he was 16. He was probably six inches shorter. Um, definitely a magnetic personality, but I've really not seen him play. But this is the thing about LaMelo that, for me, that knows almost nothing worries me. Shot just 46% from two-point range and 25% from three. This is in the Australian League. Shoots jumpers with, an unorthodox, with unorthodox mechanics, including a two-handed release while kicking out his legs. For a league that is so dependent, now his six foot seven size is obviously, as Jonathan mentioned, very attractive. For a league that's so interested in shooting, is seeing those numbers, even on an 18 year old, is that a red flag? It's not ideal, obviously, uh, but I don't think those numbers are that indicative of his touch, to be honest. Like, I think it's more a product of shot selection. You know, we, we saw the way he used to play, right? Pulling up from half court, pointing at the line, laughing. I mean, that was those were the shots he would take, and he, he's reined it in a little bit. But I think it's more a product, like I said, of the shot selection because if you look at his free throw percentage in our database, he's 82% from the line on 254 attempts. You know, he has – I mean, he can pull up from 30, no problem. And I think he's going to make enough to where teams have to, you know, fight over the top of screens – and then he can really use his size to kind of pick teams apart. So it's not ideal, obviously, like the shot is funky. But I think the difference between him and Lonzo is that like this kid has never ending confidence. Like he, he's not afraid 
of anything. Whereas that's what Lonzo kind of had to work through. And then in LA, obviously wasn't shooting it well. Teams were going under screens, weren't respecting him. And then, you know, he, he just didn't really look at the rim and, and he's still kind of working his way back there. But, you know, LaMelo is, is an incredibly confident kid. And I think his, his touch is just fine. He just needs to refine his mechanics a little bit and try to shoot it the same way every time. And he's a, he's a terrific passer, right, Jonathan? I mean, he's got, he's got good control of the ball in which is meaningful on a guy that size. I mean, that's the best thing he does. He, I mean, he, he has his head up at all times, and he throws these crazy one-handed baseball passes, you know, the length of the floor, and I mean, just all the highlights, you know, like those are real, you know, all that stuff that he does with the bounce passes and off pick and roll. I mean, that's, that's his game, and I think it's only going to get better when you surround him with, with better players, you know. I mean, you, there, are a lot, there were a lot of plays that he made this year, you know, threading the needle to, to his big guy, Josh Boone, and, and he blows the layup right at the rim, you know. So, like, put him with, a, you know, a Carl Anthony Towns and a D'Angelo Russell, guys like that, and he's just going to look, you know, much, much better. So, so a couple days ago, uh, Schmitz, you were there. Uh, out in Los Angeles, uh, Clutch Sports held a pro day, which was televised on ESPN2, and uh, showcased a couple of players, but primarily uh, Anthony Edwards. Um, and, you know, this was the first time people had seen him in, in you know publicly in a long time. Obviously, it was set up to make him look good. He was not playing against uh, NBA-level talent or anything. It was a was it mostly one-on-zero uh, workout. I don't, I don't, I didn't see most of it. Um, but uh, you know, he's six-three uh, guard out of uh, out of Georgia. Um, what do I need to know about Anthony Edwards, and and what are teams evaluating as they try to figure out whether he goes one, two, three? Physically, he's arguably the most impressive prospect in the draft. I would say him and him and James Wiseman. I mean, he's up to six foot five now. He's 230 pounds, a six man. He's incredibly explosive. I mean, his ability to, you know, change directions, change pace uh, at the drop of a hat and then just explode to the rim. I mean, with ultimate power is is really, really rare. You know, he's he's got one of the best bodies uh, of any you know, guard that, that I've really ever evaluated. And so he's going to have to get in better shape. Uh, you know, I, I think his consistency during his freshman season at, at, at Georgia was just not there. Um, a lot of ups and downs. And frankly, if he had an even season there and, and really brought it, you know, all 30 games, I think he would probably be the number one pick, uh, just given, you know, the questions some teams have about, about LaMelo and then James Wiseman's, you know, very abbreviated resume. But I'm a big fan of Anthony Edwards' talent, to be honest. I think you'll, you'll hear a lot of skeptics, and I think some of it is is warranted. But, I mean, he can go get a bucket with the best of them. You know, I was sitting in, at the Maui Invitational at that game against Michigan State when he had 37 points, and he looked like an NBA All-Star. Um, so he's a kid who hasn't had the easiest path until this point. Um, you know, he lost his, his grandmother and his mother basically within a year span uh, was more or less, in eighth grade, was more or less raised, uh, you know, by his brother and sister, uh, friends pitching in, you know, he didn't go to a big time high school. So he hasn't really been coached, you know, until this year under Tom Crean. And Crean said on the broadcast that he's just scratching the surface. And you'll hear that with a lot of prospects. But I think that rings true with him in particular, just because his path to this point. And so he's the best scorer in the draft to me. He's got the tools to defend. Um, it's just a matter of, is he going to bring it every game? And I think he's going to continue to improve in those areas just because, you know, he, he hasn't had the the most traditional path. Cavone, he was asked um, uh, what player he compares himself to. And I respect the answer, um, but he compared himself to Dwayne Wade. Um, and, uh, you know, what What I remember about Dwayne Wade was he was ready to go from the second he stepped into the NBA, obviously a three-year college player, where he was terrific. And Wade started making an impact five seconds into the league. They got to the second round of the playoffs his first year. Even LeBron didn't have the immediate impact on his team that Wade did. Um that was a pretty high, uh, high opinion of himself, but I respect it. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you see some of that? I don't see any of that. I, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I let you say it, not me. I'm from, I'm born and raised in Miami and, and Dwayne Wade was drafted in 2003. And I mean, I, I grew up as a heat fan and just what impressed me from Dwayne Wade early in his career was just how competitive he was. I mean, this guy, 
with driving into the paint and drawing fouls and guarding everybody. And the, the, the skill wasn't there the way it evolved into later on, but he was such a competitor and, and he was so tough. And if Anthony Edwards had 1% of that, he would be the no brainer number one pick in the draft, but he's a selective competitor. The motor really, really fluctuates he, the way that he walked around in the pro day for half that workout was the way that he walked around for most of the season. And that's a real concern. You say, well, you know, is he going to, when is the light bulb finally going to come on? When is he finally going to play up to his talent? Because, you know, we, we all assume it's going to come on at some point, but what if it doesn't, you know, when we saw with guys like Andrew Wiggins, like Dion waiters, those guys are incredible talents as well. I mean, they can, um, they have the bodies and they have the athleticism and they have the scoring instincts and they can shoot off the dribble and they can do everything. But I don't know that they're in love with the game the way that a guy like Dwayne Wade is. And that's my concern with Anthony Edwards. Well, he, they had the same uh, um, same coach, uh, same college coach. Uh, Tom Crean coached Dwayne Wade at Marquette and he coached uh, Edwards at um, – at Georgia. And I'm assuming that's where that connection begins. And Wade has been supportive of him, I think, because of the Crean uh, connection. Um, you know, you, you, I don't want you to do your mock draft here because you, you, I'm sure you're getting one ready. But it's fair to say, uh, guys, I'll start with you, Mike, that there's a bit of a that not everybody would would take him if they had a top three pick. Or do you think there's no chance he gets he gets uh, past three? Yeah, I don't see a scenario where Edwards gets past three. Um, I, I think a lot of some scouts think he should be the number one pick. You know, some executives I, I've really from canvassing the league. I think you'll hear a wide variety of different opinions. But, you know, in, in terms of like the Deion Waiters stuff, like to me, Deion Waiters, what he averaged like six points a game as a freshman. Right. Like it, to me, at least Anthony Edwards was fairly productive. Um, you know, he had some huge games. He averaged 19 points a game in a pretty good conference uh, so there, there are definitely question marks, obviously, like needs to bring it more, needs to be more consistent as a shooter, all those things. Um, but I, I think a lot of teams see him, you know, as a well, is it, isn't comparing to Dwayne Wade sort of a code for um, very athletic, but not a great shooter. Isn't right. that like well, code? I think the, di- the difference with, with a lot of these comparisons, Gavoni nailed it, is, is Dwayne Wade competitor. Victor Oladipo was like an incredible defender, self-made guy who had to scratch and claw. You hear that comparison a lot. And that's where Edwards is, is much different than those guys. He's, that's where you hear the Wiggins. Like I think the, the Wiggins one probably makes the most sense just as a guy who is incredibly talented, can roll out of, out of bed and give you 30 in his sleep, but – he just doesn't always impact winning as much as you would hope. But in terms of where he goes, you know, I would be shocked if he went outside the top three. I actually think um, – I don't think uh, he would – I mean, he obviously you make more money as the higher pick, but I don't think he would be devastated if he did go three to Charlotte um, for no other reason than um, it might it might improve his offer for a Jordan, <laughs> a Jordan contract because it seems like guys who go to Charlotte end up with Jordan contracts. Um, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that's where he goes. But I, again, I'm not a draft expert. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with vivid seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You guys have mentioned a couple of times James Wiseman, um, major uh, talent. I mean, this is a guy that I've heard about for a couple of years, and I don't track like you guys do. Um, tremendous size. Um, only, you know, had a whole issue about being eligible at Memphis, which is a whole 
BS thing and then elected not to play very much after he started. Um, uh, this is a guy that, you know, in a league where we don't see centers being foundational players, this is a guy where there are some teams who think that he could be that type of player. So uh, Gavoni, um, you've, you've followed him for a long time. Um, there's a lot of discussion about him and leading up to the draft. Uh, what should we know? What do I need to know about James Wiseman heading into the draft? I mean, he's a physical marvel, um, you know, seven feet tall, seven, five wingspan measured a nine, six standing reach. Oh my God. He's incredibly explosive too. runs the floor really well. Um, you know, and he has some skill too. not, you know, uh, it's, I mean, he averaged 20 points a game in 23 minutes in Memphis. You know, he can put the ball in the basket. Um, you know, it was really off his tools more than anything in, in college. But, um, you know, he's got some free throw touch also. Um, you know, he's got great upside defensively if he figures it out. You know, I'm, not, I'm a little bit skeptical if he will, just because I, I think his awareness, um, you know, and um, – I think the game moves a little bit too fast for him at times and both, you know, as a passer and also defensively. And so, I mean, I think to me, he's like a rich man's miles Turner. I mean, that's, that's what, what I see him as. Um, I think in a, if this, if you were in the 2021 draft, he probably isn't a top five pick. I mean, that just tells you how strong the 2021 draft was. I think, you know, last year, He's clearly, you know, in at, at number three or number four. He's going to be in the mix. You know, he's probably going to go and stay is what everybody's saying if they keep the pick. Um, just because, you know, you can plug him into an NBA uh, lineup right away. I mean, he's he there's he, he's just off his tools. He's going to make an impact, um, you know, but I do have some question marks about how much value there is in a big man in that mold. And that's not as much of a knock on Wiseman. And it it's just, it's hard to be an NBA center these days. If you're not, you know, an incredible shooter or incredible passer, and you're not a defensive anchor, which I'm not sure he is. And, but um, he's obviously a talent and he's, he's, he's going to be a good player. The question is how good. Yeah. In today's NBA Schmitz, you, you would love a seven, one guy with this kind of reach to ha- you know, to have with the athleticism, you would you would love it if he was focused defensively, because he could be a transformational player defensively. But it's kind of a lot to ask for a nineteen year old to be that way. Um, but I don't know if I don't know if, if teams if teams see him that way because um, that's one of the things that's most valuable in the NBA right now. Yeah, that's what he's going to have to be. I think for for him to have success, I think it's about <clears throat> you know buying in and being an elite defensive anchor and be an elite finisher. And then the shooting, the handling, all that stuff will come. Like his, his biggest issue honestly has always been that he could be like peak DeAndre Jordan, like lob city, DeAndre Jordan, catch everything at the rim, put a lid on the rim on the other end of the floor. He's actually better stepping out. At at least he has the ability to, he's, his technique and all that can really improve, but he's always wanted to be a little bit more like LaMarcus Aldridge, right? He's always kind of wanted to, you know, 17 feet, face up, jab step, fall away. And and that's kind of been something they've had to work out with him. I'm like, Hey, keep it simple. You're an absolute freak physically run the floor really hard, catch every lob, protect the rim. And then that other stuff will continue to come. So I think that's going to be the key for him. Just, just buying into some of those things. But, you know, from day one, I think he's going to have some ups and downs just because He's only played three collegiate games, right? And, and like you said, bigs, they, they definitely take a little bit longer to develop, especially the nuances of today's game. It's so fast, up and down. It's small. Everybody's skilled. Uh, so he's going to take some time. But I agree with Jonathan. I think he's going to be a good player. It's just a matter of is he going to be a great player. Well, he's been working out in Miami, and um, his agent, Jeff Schwartz, is based there. And um, I know that the Warriors went and saw him and spent some time with him, and I believe the Hornets did as well. Um, and, uh, I don't, I, I don't think he's, I think he's trying to stay out of Minnesota for no other reason than, um, than, you know, they have Carl Towns. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't think he wants to be there. I think he'd love to be in Golden State. Um, whether or not Golden State's interest in him, it, which is pretty well known in the league is intended to create action or it's true. Uh, that's for them to know and everybody else to try to, uh, figure out. But, you know, there has <clears throat> been some conjecture that Golden State's 
making it known how much they like him is an indi- is a is an attempt to make Charlotte trade up with them because Charlotte um, may prefer a big man because they have guards um, on their roster. But um, <clears throat> we'll have to see. That's going to be. Would you guys say at this point? The most intriguing thing is uh, is whether Golden State and Charlotte stay in two three. Is would you agree with that? Um, that 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 that's maneuverable because I have talked to teams who've had discussions with uh, Golden State about moving them moving back. Wendy, I just don't know. It, you know, teams are worried about this these negotiations that are going on right now with the union. You know, and they feel like they there's some answers that they need to have on draft night to really know what they're working with, you know, as they position themselves going into free agency, um, you know, what is the cap number going to be? Do they need to move, you know, some um, rosters? They need to clear some roster spots. They need to clear some salary cap. You know, what is the tax going to be? Um, and I, I think that that's kind of got things on hold right now. And, you know, some agents have asked me, like, is the draft going to be on November 18th for that reason? And I said, well, I haven't heard anything to the contrary. I don't know. Me either. Yeah, so it sounds like all systems are go for November 18th. It'd be pretty surprising right now. If, I mean, 18 days out that they moved it, but I don't know. What, what do you think is going to happen on that front? Will we know on November 18th what, what's going on? Well, yes, I think so. But I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I I know that they're moving this deadline around, but t- to be dead honest, the deadline to have a deal with the players and the owners is November 17th. No one's ever going to say that. Um, but that's the real deadline. They got to have their business done by then. I don't think it'll come to that at all. Um, I know that there has been some saber rattling happening um, between the players and owners about um, Martin Luther King Day versus uh, Christmas week. Um, from my view, from what I understand, really, that's just negotiating. Um, the amount of monetary difference between playing on Christmas and playing on January. And look, Michelle Roberts has said this in interviews, the players union head. And she's not wrong. She's like making plans right now with the virus is, you know, kind of laughable. The virus is control of us. We don't have control of that. The way things are going in this country and in this world, you know, who knows where we'll be in Christmas. But um, assuming this stabilization of that, um, the negotiation is really going to be in the guts of the deal and the guts of how much money is withheld from players how much, um, whether some money is deferred for a year, whether the, whether the NBA players can like basically write an IOU to the owners, uh, you know, to, to, to get some, some more money this year. These are the, this is the guts of the negotiation. I, I, I think for the average fan, it's, am I getting basketball on Christmas or not? And I think for the average team, Jonathan's what you said, what are the rules that we're going to play under here? What's the, what's the cap? What are we looking at? But I think right now they're, you know, they're in the trenches on percentage points, which mean a lot to to players. So um, I am confident a deal is going to get done, although I suspect things could get a little bit more prickly over this next week. The standoff could deepen a little bit. I'm actually kind of surprised that the union and, and league have worked. They've done like four or five consecutive deals together where it's been mostly uh, amicable and everybody's kind of been uh, willing to work together, whether it's been the last CBA, whether it's been um, with withholding more pay in the spring, whether it was the agreement on the bubble. And so I, I am not surprised that we may have some friction. I was way, I was like, one of the players going to put their foot down and say, I'm tired of bending. Um, but you know, the owners have all of the, um, the owners have just, they have all of the leverage here and it's not leverage to try to screw the players. It's just leverage on trying to, to capture money. So, um, but I totally understand the frustration out there because it is, we are a totally unique situation. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. By the time this podcast comes out, we may know something certainly by midweek. And then obviously it's a pretty big week in our country. So there's a lot going on out there right now. So uh, I'm just going to sort of sit back and listen and and, and watch before I, I make any uh, strong pronunciations. Um, I do want to ask you guys, because I am genuinely curious um, about Denny Avdia. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Avdia? Avdia. Avdia. See, this is what you're going to help me. Um, I know nothing about him other than the fact that he's a 20-year-old um, wing guy from Israel. Um but the, the, these are why you guys are so incredibly valuable because you guys are probably 
watched him since he was 16 or or younger. So Schmitz, there are some people that think he could go as high as four. Other people I've seen him go lower. What's the what do I need to know about uh, about this this big man from Israel? Yeah, he's a stud. Uh, I think honestly, he has a chance to be the best player to come out of this draft. If if we look back in you know three four years, if he lands in the right situation. Uh, it wouldn't shock me one bit. You know, he's 6'9", 225, 230 pounds. So he has the natural size really of like, you know, a, a traditional quote unquote power forward, you would say, but he can play on the perimeter pretty much one through four, uh, you know, watching him since, since he was 15, 16 years old, he played like a point guard, you know, coming up with the Israeli junior national team. He would handle and transition. He would make everyone around him better, throwing bounce passes through these little tight crevices and, um, so he's a fiery competitor. His dad was a big time player uh, in in Serbia, and then also in in Israel, he was a big time scorer, a very very fiery guy. And then you see some of that in Denny. I mean, he's he's super competitive. I think he's going to be an asset defensively. He can guard multiple positions. Really, you can shift him all over the floor. He has a great personality. Um, and, you know, I think people are trying to make sense of what does it mean to play 15 minutes in the EuroLeague, right? You look at his numbers, four points a game. People look at the shooting percentage, which is a, a question mark. He's still improving there. But Jonathan can attest to this. I mean, that's one of the toughest places to play out, you know, outside of the United States and in, in the entire world. The pressure, uh, the, the fan base, um, you know, playing basically for an NBA style coach to where if you make a mistake, you're sitting on the bench. And, and so, um, you know, very demanding defensively. And this is a guy who's really the most hyped Israeli prospect of all time. So uh, he's going to be ready to step in right away, play a role, play off of other guys. And then I think he has some potential to be kind of like a point forward type, you know, down the line. Gavoni, uh, in your pre-draft analysis that you wrote about him, you guys have a projected role. And I, I find a little fascinating what you projected as his role, which is big playmaker. You seem to be high on him as well. Yeah, really high. I saw some measurements on him this week. He's grown. He's almost 6'10 now in shoes. Um, 230 pounds. I mean, he's big enough to play the four, yet he has the skill set of a guard. I mean, he, he grew up with the ball in his hands. And, you know, even though we didn't get to see him play a huge role in the EuroLeague, we were fortunate to have um, the, the Israeli league restart. Uh, it was, you know, in late June, the whole month of July, through the, you know, it went through the playoffs. He played 30 to 35 minutes a game there, had a featured role. You know, he every game, three, four, five assists, um, really, really shot the ball well, hit, you know, four of eight for three in a game, three of six, three of seven. I mean, so um, you saw that, you know, in the quarantine, he went and worked on his body and worked on his game. And even though he's been on the radar since he was, you know, 15, 16 years old, he keeps getting better and better. I mean, that's what you want to see from a 19-year-old kid, especially a guy who already has as much experience as he does. I mean, he's played over 160 games at the pro level as a 19-year-old. I mean, that's just that's unheard of. He's played for the Israeli senior national team. Um, you know, he was MVP of every competition that he played at. You know, in his age group, he went to BWB and was MVP of the European camp. And then he went to the global one, and he was MVP there too. So this is a proven player. You know, I mean, there's, there's, not, there's not a lot of downside here for me, especially be, with the fact that he's improved his shooting as much as he has. Um, so yeah, I see him going, um, you know, four and if he, you know, four, five, six, I mean, his, his range is very narrow to me just because who, what NBA team doesn't need a six ten guy who can play the two, three or four. I mean, that's, that's what every team is looking for right now. And he's going to be able to hold his own defensively from day one. And like Schmidt said, the big question is the shooting, but he's, you know, he's shown real improvement there. The real question mark there is, is, um, you know, the free throw shooting He's a career 58% free throw shooter. And that's what, what you kind of, kind of has um, teams wondering, you know, what's going on there. Is it more psychological, you know, because he's got great form and he's already a shot maker. And, um, but you know, he made strides there too in the, in, in that, in that restart. So, um, yeah, I'm very high on Denny. So many of the guys who've come from Europe who've been successful in the last three to five years, this is just my view. Um, they're all so tough-minded. 
Like one of the things that we know, this is my 18th year covering the NBA. Obviously there were tough minded players coming out of Europe for a long time. Look no further than Drazen Petrovic, you know, Vladi Divac. I remember uh, Shrunas Yesikavishis, even though he came after his prime, very tough-minded guy. We can go on and on. Many other players who came out who were kind of busts weren't so tough-minded. But boy, do you look at these guys, these European players who are dominating in the NBA right now, guys like, obviously, Luka, um, you know, really sort of the whole, that sort of Eastern European block, <laughs> those guys that are, you know, they're, you know, Yusef Nurkic and, and, um, uh, you know, just, this is kind of who the, who defined. So I would ask you, is this guy tough minded? Because to me that just from my viewpoint would be a question I'd ask about European prospects. I, I think it's one of his biggest strengths, you know, his, his competitiveness, uh, his fight, he's very emotional on the floor. Sometimes, you know, he's complaining to refs and, you know, the body language, all that stuff can improve a little bit, but he really cares. He cares about winning. He values winning. I mean, he, like Jonathan said, he's played so many games already and in, in, even in competitions where he doesn't even need to play, like it'll be the under 18 European championships in, in the B division. And he just finished up playing the under twenties in the A division. And he's like, I'm going to go play with, with these under 18 guys because I need to help them promote to the A division. Like that's just the type of kid he is. Um, and, and he's a fighter. He has that mentality. You know, I think everyone's going to say, oh, people are going to bill him as the next Luca, And he's clearly not that. Right. And so I'm sure he's fighting that a little bit. Like, yeah, of course he's not that Luca's a generational talent. Right. Um, but this kid is really, really good in his own right. Yeah. You know, guy, like, like, <laughs> I know that you're not going to find a bunch of Nikola Jokic's out there, but I mean, I would try to find Nikola Jokic, you know, mindset if you could. And maybe that's hard to find, you know, even pretty much all the guys who, would, who went to dinner together in the bubble, uh, Goran Dragic and the, you know, sort of that Eastern block. Like I looked at all of them and I was like, you know, all of these guys are so tough minded. You know, there, there's there's something really strong about that that comes from those those guys, and that's what I would think about if I was trying to draft a guy. All right, so I want to sort of set you because he Denny is Israeli, you know, but his dad played for the Yugoslavian national team, you know, so he's got some of that Serbian toughness in him. You know, Israelis are tough too, but then you mix the Israeli and the Serbian, and you you get something pretty compelling. <laughs> I think. See, that's that's important for me to know. Like, I'm glad you brought that up because. Uh, just because you you've got Yugoslavian uh, blood doesn't mean you're tough. I mean, there's guys who have come over from um, the former Yugoslavia that haven't worked out, but um, there's a bunch of them that have. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, Grand Salami's web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is, all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Anyway, all right, I want to turn it over more to you guys now. Uh, who are some of the other guys that you may be excited about or you find interesting, uh, you know, that are in this draft? Uh, Jonathan, we'll start with you. So we did our grade A mock draft. It's going to come out next week or whatever. And one of the surprises that people might find there is that I drafted Onekia Okongwu um, ahead of Anthony Edwards. And that's, you know, it's less a knock on Edwards and more on I just how. He's a, he's a center from USC. Exactly. Yeah. So 6'9", um, probably the best um, 
big man defender um, in college basketball this year. Just super versatile, switches everything. Um, really good instincts um, as a rim protector. Um, also, um, you know, pretty good passer. Uh, has great hands as a finisher. Um, I I just think that um, you know people compare him a little to Bam. You know, I don't think that's that's quite fair. But I do think you know I see a lot where that's coming from in terms of the versatility that that, that he displays. And um, honestly, if I were Charlotte at three, I would take Okongwu over. Wiseman, if both guys were on the board, um, that's how high I am on him. Schmitz, this is a type of modern day big man that we're talking about. Uh, very versatile. Uh, you wrote the pre-draft analysis on him, and um, you you called him a perfect lob catching, shot blocking center. That's the kind of centers that NBA teams want out there right now. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't have the the physical tools uh, of James Wiseman. You know, if you put them side by side in a one-on-one workout and that's all you saw, you're going to take James Wiseman. But I agree with Gavoni. I, I would take Onyeka as well. Um, I just think his his defensive smarts, his instincts. He was incredibly productive too at USC. I mean, if you look at his per forty numbers, you know, over twenty one points, over eleven rebounds, one and a half steals, three and a half blocks, and he did it with like a sixty five true shooting percentage. We haven't really seen that in our database, just going through the numbers uh, really at all, you know, that combination. So uh, he has great verticality around the rim defensively. Like I said, he's really, really smart guarding pick and rolls. And you don't need to run any plays for him. You know, like at USC, he was playing with two other centers on the floor at the same time at times, you know, with with Nick Rakosovic and Isaiah Mobley. So uh, I think he's a guy who's going to be a, a day one contributor because of that defensive versatility. And he's not going to step out and shoot threes immediately or he's not going to be handling the ball like Bam. Uh, but in terms of the defensive end of the floor, he's plug and play. All right. So who who's interesting uh, that, we, that I need to know about that make will make me sound smarter when I talk on on radio shows and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. I mean, I will be topping is, is going to be a big name. You know, he's not a sleeper, obviously. I'm sure you've heard his name just from catching little bits on, on SportsCenter. Uh, well, but, he's, he played a Dayton, which is in Ohio. I'm quite aware. <laughs> exactly. So that's one, you know, we'll, we'll give you that one. But uh, I think he's going to be a guy who has a major impact right away. Uh, you know, he doesn't give you a Kong Wu's defense. Um, but offensively, I mean, he's one of the best lob, lob catchers in the draft, runs the floor incredibly hard. You know, he can pick and pop to three, can handle a little bit. He's a really good passer. Uh, so I, I, it wouldn't shock me if he comes in and, and wins rookie of the year. Um, now he's older. The de- This is a classic uh, discussion that we have every year. He's did he play all four years? Because he's 22. Did he play all four years? He had a very unique path. I mean, he he basically went to prep school. He didn't have any offers. He grew. He had the red shirt his freshman year academically. And then so this is his second year playing college basketball. But he's older, yeah. But yeah, he's he's 22 and a half. Uh, you know, so I don't know. Does that is that that's does that scare people off? I don't know. There's been, you know, there's been plenty, you know, Damian Lillard. CJ McConnell or CJ McConnell, CJ McCollum, um, both four-year players seem to be doing pretty well for, for a team that had no problem drafting four-year players. So, um, and he was know. a big time late bloomer too, you know, like I said, he, he grew really late. Um, and so I think he's on a little bit of a different trajectory than your typical 22 year old, but uh, has some deficiencies, but just in terms of a guy who I think is, is going to be on sports center every night and, and could contend for rookie of the year, that, certainly a name to know. Let me guys ask you about Tyrese Halliburton. This is a guy who, in my conversations with people, and I'm certainly not giving a sampling that's really representative, but it seems like Tyrese Halliburton has gotten a bit of a, a bit of a bounce during this this process. Six uh, five uh, uh, guard out of Iowa State, um, I think, can shoot it pretty well. Gavoni, um, do you think Halliburton uh, is, is that accurate? Is he rising draft boards, or is that, am I just hearing things? I mean, I think he's he's been in our top ten all year. I mean, we haven't even honestly made that many changes to our board since March. I mean, he's, he, he, ever since he had that great showing at the under 19 world cup playing for USA basketball in Greece in the summer of 2019, he basically established himself as a top 10 pick and he started the year really well. He had 17 assists in a game you know I mean, he's clearly he's the best he was the best passer in college basketball and he's got that great size he's six foot five and you know um shot 
42, 43% both years um, at Iowa State. And so it's just, it's easy to find a role for that guy in today's NBA. Now, it's interesting because he probably isn't what the worst teams in the league need because he's not somebody that's necessarily going to carry you offensively. You know, he, he wasn't even the always the primary ball handler on his own team and they weren't very good. He's, pre, he's pretty much at his best, um, you know, playing off the ball, uh, being this plug and play guy who can, you know, fill in a lot of blanks and, you know, make other guys better. Um, he's a, you know, just a great passer and he's got terrific instincts defensively. But, you know, if you give him the ball late in the clock and you say, go get me a basket, you're, you might not get a great shot because he's not a great pull up shooter right now. So I think he's, perfect on uh the warriors you know but you know you look at some of those other teams that are, are drafting in the top five he might not be a great fit and maybe that's why he ends up sliding to six seven i mean he's not going to go very far you know the knicks would probably do a backflip if he were there at eight but um so it's interesting he is one of the best prospects in the draft but he's not necessarily a great fit for the worst teams so this is one of the things about this draft right once we've sort of discussed the top names now we get into the guys and there's a bunch of sort of projected role players here. So let me just ask you this um, as we head toward the end here. Um, Schmitz, if there was a guy that you were going to take super high upside um, uh, that we haven't talked about yet, like, you know, a team that is going to swing at it and realizes that it could be a miss, who would that guy be out of who's left we haven't talked about? Yeah, I mean, I, the guy who I think has some of the most upside is is Patrick Williams out of Florida State, and he's somebody who is, I think, going to be one of the biggest risers. Uh, I could see him going in the top ten of this draft. He's someone Jonathan and I saw pretty extensively, you know, before Florida State. He didn't start one game. You know, he averaged nine points a game. He he, he had some moments where you wanted probably a little bit more aggression, but physically, you know, he's one of the more impressive guys. Six eight. Seven foot wingspan, 225, 230 pounds. Um, he's he's a better ball handler than most, you know, like OG Ananobi type combo forwards. He's got some shooting potential, um, and defensively, he's got a chance to be really good, especially off the ball. He's not great on the ball yet, but I think he's going to be an asset there. So, you know, we've seen teams are starved for these type of six seven, six eight combo forwards who can, you know, potentially make shots, handle, and, and defend. And I think he really fits that role. So again, doesn't have kind of the the resume backing or the productivity, um, but one of the youngest players in the draft, and, he, and he's got a ton of upside. Gavoni, do you have a guy that um, you like the upside, even if it's a risk? Isaac Okoro is probably the guy for me. Um, 6'6", wing from Auburn, um, probably the best um, perimeter defender in the draft. Um, just a great athlete, 6'10", um, wingspan. Um, you know, you can put him on point guards, no problem. He was um, he's not a great shooter. He only shot 29% for three, and that's going to be his swing skill in the NBA. But I just like his his feel for the game. I just love his intensity. I love that, you know, he's a 60% shooter inside the arc. Um, uh, I, you know, the, he impacts winning at the highest level. I mean, he didn't lose a single game his high school senior year, and he got to Auburn, who, you know, wasn't even a top 25 team, and he, he made them nationally relevant. Um, you know, people – you know, look at him and they say, you know, is there some Jimmy Butler there long term? You know, is there some Andre Iguodala there? You know, and they're, you know, I think teams aren't afraid these days of taking a guy who's not a great shooter and they can, you know, develop in, into something better with their, you know, because they have so many resources right now with their player development staff and because he really does everything else. And so, um, you know, he, he would be in my top five also, you know, if I, if it were just me drafting, um, just because I, I, I'm not high on his upside long term. Well, you've already kind of uh, said something interesting, which is that you think that Edwards, you, you kind of implied that Edwards could slip a little bit. Um, I don't think he's going to slip. I mean, I, if I were, I would be really scared personally to take him, you know, just mm -hmm. because I don't believe in his motor. Well, I mean, you have the experience. This is what you're, you know, this is what you do. So, I mean, it's uh, when, when you say this, it's not, it's not nothing. There's, there's a lot of NBA guys drafting that don't have the experience that you do. He's probably, so. but I, I mean, he's going to go in, in the top three, it sounds like, you know, I mean, if, if it's not Charlotte, then somebody's probably going to trade up to get him because, you know, the, the upside is just, just too high. And, you know, a lot of people, they say, listen, give me that kind of talent. 
I'll develop the rest. You know, I mean, that, yeah. that's where the, the mindset of a lot of NBA franchises. So is there a surprise that you're expecting or is it, is it, would the surprise potentially be who may trade up as opposed to movement in the, in the draft? I mean, you're hearing some trade talk, you know, I mean, is Chicago going to try and move up? Is Detroit going to try and do something with, with Blake on draft night? You know I mean? I think that's where the surprise may end up being is something that really shakes up the top five. Um, you know, um, especially, you know, with Golden State or, or Minnesota. But, um, you know, I do think that just because this draft process has been so prolonged and we haven't benefited from, you know, being around each other as much as we normally are, usually like, you know, NBA scouts, they're on the same flights. They go to the, they stay at the same Hope Marriott. They go to the same workouts. They're at the same pro days. You know, they work out next to each other at the hotel gym. And so there's kind of a, 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 a group think that sets in and where, Players just, you know, teams' boards kind of end up merging. And I don't think that's happened this year. And I think that people have been a little bit isolated. They're watching their own film. They're making their own calls. And so I could see this being, you know, one of those years like, you know, the year that, you know, Thon Maker all of a sudden is a top 10 pick. Papa Giannis goes in the lottery. You know, I mean, I could see those kind of things happening where, you know, a guy who isn't even in our first round and all of a sudden is a lottery pick, you know, the way that those two guys were. So, I mean, it, they're all the ingredients that are there for that to happen. Sounds like misery for somebody who's doing a mock draft. Uh, Schmitz, um, before we go, is there any surprise that you could see on the horizon maybe for draft around the draft night? I think mostly trades, you know, is, is what we're going to be looking at. I, I'm going to have a close eye on LaMelo too, just kind of following that, that storyline and, and where does he end up going. If it's not Minnesota – then, you know, you, you would think not Golden State, right? And then you say, okay, Charlotte really wants a big. D do they go with a LaMelo ball? Does he slip to four? Uh, I'm just really fascinated with, you know. I feel like if he slips at all, you would see somebody trade up. Like if he slips, if he slips past one, I think Golden State's getting calls, right? Right, for sure. Whether it's New York or someone who's, you know, starved for Detroit, you know, starved for that kind of lead ball handler. But he's, to me, he's the most interesting storyline in this draft. He's also not giving teams much, you know, they're not going to have a workout to evaluate him off him. You know, you're hearing all this buzz on the internet. Oh, his workouts are bad. His interviews are bad. He hasn't done anything yet. You know, right. like I, don't, I can't, that, I don't understand where that's coming from. He's only, he had one zoom call with the Knicks three months ago. He had one face-to-face -face meeting with Minnesota, which was more about Minnesota recruiting him than the other way around. And that's it, you know, so like where, what is he going to slip off of, you know, I mean, but that's, you know, there's just, there isn't much to talk about. So people are just making stuff up. To talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, guys, thank you so much. You've, uh, you've uh, really educated me. I will uh, still not know much about these guys until I watch them in the NBA, which we won't get summer league to do to, you know, like some, some summer league last year is where I saw this kid from Kentucky, Tyler Hero, and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You know, that's the thing that we won't have this year. So we'll uh, we'll see it all together in real time. But um, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, we will talk to you later next week. Take care.